listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one Australian weekly trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. So please do us a favour, listen in on your favourite podcast platform, hit like and subscribe, leave a comment and don't forget to tell your mates about us. On the Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. G'day all. Every now and then we score an interview that is just so current, so interesting and so important, it can't wait for the next show. And we decide to bring it out in a special bonus episode all of its own. Well, this is one of those occasions. Today, Mike caught up with American trucker, writer and working class hero, Gordon McGill. Gordon has been on the ground at the Convoy for Freedom Rally 2022 in Ottawa, Canada, and we have no doubt you'll find the conversation that ensued highly interesting and thought-provoking. Here it is. Enjoy. We've got a treat for you today. Gordon McGill, the ghost of Gord, has joined us all the way from the United States of America. He's a Scots-Irish world citizen. He's been everywhere. He's driven everywhere. He's driven some of the biggest trucks in the world over here in Australia, just like me. We've been following each other on social media for quite some time. Now, old mate Gordo has become the go-to guy. He's been on TV in the UK talking about the Freedom Rally in Canada. I had a bit of a chat about it last week on the show, and I discovered that Gordo was in the middle of it. So we've got him on the show. Gordo, how are you? I'm good, mate. Top of the morning to everybody. How you going, digger? <laughs> Wonderful. And it's 4.30 in the United States where I'm talking to you now, mate. So you've got a tin. You're all happy. You're all set up. Yeah, I've got a couple of beers lined up. A couple of beers. A couple of beers. Got my own little pub here going on down in the basement. And uh, very happy to speak with you and your audience. No worries, mate. So we obviously started talking about the Convoy for Freedom. But before we get into that, just so that the listeners have got a feel for what you're doing, every time you head to Australia, you sort of bypass Sydney and you head straight back out the outback, you were saying. So what's that involved? Right. So I have a long love affair with Australia. Mm. I've been to Australia four times, once in 1999, again in 02, again in 04. In my most recent trip in 2014 and 15, I had a 457 visa and I was working for a company in Perth running up and down the track to Caratha and Broome and Newman and all those places. Yep. The first time I came to Australia in 1999, I'd had my trucking license in Canada for two years and I had this obsessive compulsion to get down there and go and drive road trains. The only problem was I was only 20 years old and not many people would insure me. I had no idea how to get my license converted. And I ended up working for this fella in the Flinders Ranges in Corn, South Australia. He had a tour company and a hostel and I worked there for a while and did a bunch of trips up the Udnadatta track and through the Outback with him. And then I came back for this thing called the Outback Eclipse Festival. Coincidentally, also in the Flinders Ranges near a place called Lindhurst big party there at the end of 2002 10,000 freaks showed up from all over the world to get down and (laughs) take some lsd and party in the desert at that time i was living in new zealand i flew over from new zealand where i was driving logging trucks for a company called rotorua forest haulage so i did some work there and then in 2004 i got the silly idea that when i was done in new zealand i would try to come back to australia again 
And I met a guy in Mount Barker near Adelaide who was basically bringing Kiwis over and finding them jobs. Yep. My only problem was I'm not a Kiwi, so I had no working rights in Australia. I ended up spending 2500 bucks at a Polytech in Adelaide to get all my hazmats, forklift ticket, road train license, yada, yada, yada. And then no job and nobody would hire me illegally. So I went home with my tail between my legs. A couple of years after I got home, I went up and ran the ice. So I did four seasons on the ice roads in the Northwest Territories. Yeah. And whilst I was up there, I met a gentleman named Gavin Smith, who's a legend over in New Zealand. And he worked for these guys in Perth, and they hooked me up, and we figured it out. All right. So you've run the ice road and everything. Uh, yeah, I did four seasons up there, cracked up. Wow. We need to talk, buddy. We really do need to talk. <laughs> Running the ice is one of the things that I've always wanted to have a crack at, and you sort of wonder, how the hell would you ever do that? Because we've got the show over here, Ice Road Truckers. Don't watch it. It's garbage. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> A little insider's perspective to ice road truckers. Yeah. When that show first came out in 2007. Yep. The following year on the ice. Yep. They brought out more health and safety guys, representatives at the mines who are checking our log books. The Northwest Territories DOT was out at the dump on your way back in from the Ingram Trail way more often than they previously were. Yeah. In the aftermath of that show, all of a sudden, all the carriers up there were getting hundreds and hundreds of applications every month. So it basically infringed on a really good party yeah. and debased the rates that we were being paid and made it more difficult for us to run. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the old heads that ran the ice prior to that have a very low opinion of that television show. Gee, now, there's a surprise. I get sick of the infographics of, you know, you could be driving along here any second and fall through the ice and stuff. How often does that happen? It doesn't. That's the thing. They had to sex it up and they played fast and loose with some facts and some images from trucks that had gone through the ice yep. in other parts of Canada, in other parts of the Northwest Territories, yep. and heavily implied that it had occurred on the ice road they were filming, which didn't sit very well with the people who ran that ice road, which is a mining consortium yep. and this company called Nuno Logistics. And when the History Channel, the Americans that made the show, applied to film up there for a second season... They said, rack off. They were told to get lost, which <laughs> is why they ended up moving over to Inuvik. Yeah. And I uh, might be wrong about this, but they only filmed one season in Inuvik as well because I think the same thing happened there. But don't quote me on that. Don't quote you on that. Well, I know that they end up doing that... What's that other bloody road? The Dalton Highway. That's not an ice road, though, is it? That's an all-year-round highway, the Dalton. I think it's just a bush road in Alaska, but I don't know. I've only been to 49 of the 50 states. I've not yet been to Alaska. I've got mm. close. I've been over to Whitehorse, but I haven't been to Alaska yet. All right, uh, let's get off the ice road, even though it's fascinating. Mate, we're here to talk about the Canadian Freedom Rally 2022. You're living in the States now, so whereabouts in the States are you? So I live near Ithaca, New York, which is in upstate New York. It's a three-hour drive to the border crossing at Buffalo from here, or three hours in the other direction up towards Ottawa. Yeah. And so last Friday, in solidarity with my fellow road warriors, I went to Ottawa yep. to welcome the convoy that was arriving from Western Canada. There was multiple convoys. There was one coming from the West, one coming from the Maritimes, Quebec, parts of Ontario. This movement snowballed to such magnitude there's just people coming from everywhere because the message of the organizers is pretty basic. We don't want these mandates, and it's not just for truckers. It's for everybody. Yeah. Full disclosure, 
I'm not involved with the organization of the Freedom Convoy. Yep. I know of the people who are. I gave them money. I'm, I follow their updates. You know, I, I think I've interacted with Tamara once on Twitter. They're very busy. Yep. Right in the moment, they're up to their eyeballs with lawyers and the government's trying to stop their GoFundMe. They're busy people, and I don't claim to speak for them whatsoever. I'm just telling you about my own expressed solidarity to these guys and, and my participation with it. Got it. And what you've seen on the ground, obviously. Correct. Yeah. So you went up there. I saw some of the pictures and things that you took from the bridge when you got there, the trucks coming in. You ended up on the British television. How did that happen? I wrote this article in a pretty big American general magazine called Newsweek. That's just a little rag, that one, mate. Yeah, it's 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 nothing. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, oh man, more backstory. Over the last year and a half, I've done a podcast series with these guys called What's Left. Yep. One of the co-hosts is also Australian. She's in Sydney. Yep. And the other fellow's in Pittsburgh. Yep. And they did a series and they asked me to come on and discuss trucking issues like previous to COVID. Yep. So I did those two shows and the host of What's Left had this woman on his show a few months ago. Her name's Batcha Sunger Argon, and she works at Newsweek, and she's been trying to do a series at Newsweek giving voice to the working class and people who are often ignored in elite media. Yeah. And she heard about me, so I expressed some disgust with how the Canadian media was trying to smear this movement and my fellow truck drivers. Yeah. So I whipped together a quick article for her. As you do. And she put that out on Newsweek, and that exploded. Yeah. And then these guys in the UK, uh, GB News, found out about me and asked me to be on their show this morning. Yeah, right. Mind you, it was only for four minutes. It's nothing like the deep dive I'm able to give in the podcast format with people like yourself, yeah. but it's something, you know? Uh, it's really good. We've been sort of sitting back watching what's going on, and I've been looking at the pictures and the vision and just scooting through your timeline on Twitter. And for those who are on the podcast listening, it's the Ghost of Gord, at the Ghost of Gord on Twitter. Mate, you've got a pretty long history of using the pen and getting out there and having a bit of a say about things. You're sort of an American-Canadian, Scottish-Irish version of me. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I think that's why we get along so well. (laughs) So I guess when when I came home from Australia, my wife and I decided to settle here in Ithaca because her family is here and we've got two little ones. I have a a three-and-a-half-year-old and my other one's going to be two here in a couple months. So... The ELD mandate came down here in the United States in 2017. Yep. And that one was near and dear to my heart. So I I wrote this blog post for a little tiny blog called Glibertarians.com, who are sort of like your associate there in Australia, David Lionhelm. They're of the classically liberal or libertarian mindset. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote an article saying that, you know, this ELD mandate thing is going to be basically a show. Yeah. And the government didn't really consult well with people. And a lot of drivers would view it as a sort of punishment, a humiliation ritual. And like, how did it get past the Fourth Amendment here in the U.S.? Because now you basically have a government tracking device in what is essentially your home. A lot of guys live in their rigs. Yeah. So I wrote that. And then I wrote another piece for these guys, this D.C. think tank called American Compass, who are trying to also bring voices of the working class forward. I did a thing for them. And I don't know, I've always been a bit of an opinionated bastard. Somehow I've stumbled into writing for people. So here we are. (laughs) It's funny. I've always been a bit of an opinionated bastard as well. And I picked up the pen and started writing a few things. And it's become a habit I can't break. Right on. All right, the Freedom Convoy, mate. 
I've seen some pictures there now. They're building a community kitchen there. What was that? Oh, six or eight hours ago, I saw a picture of that. Yeah, which is interesting. The media have been in full-on attack mode on the Freedom Convoy for a few reasons, if you don't mind me getting into them. Yeah, no, go for it, mate. Tell us what you know. Typically, the media is sort of in the bag for Trudeau and the establishment and whatnot, and this blindsided them, right? This movement was literally started by these two characters in Alberta and a few associates a fortnight ago, two and a half weeks ago. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And it just picked up steam. And you saw these videos a week and a half ago out coming out of British Columbia and Alberta. And guys were like, we're going to go to Ottawa and say what we need to say. Yeah. And it touched something within the Canadian public, like deep in our psyche that said, We've had enough of this. Like, just as Australia has had its issues with all these lockdowns and guys like Dictator Dan and Mark McGowan in Western Australia, yeah. Canada's been pretty crazy, you know? In the province of Quebec, we have this guy, Premier Legault, mm. who's essentially created a bifurcated medical apartheid society. If you're not vaccinated, you can't go to bars, restaurants. You're only allowed to go to grocery stores and pharmacies for essentials. And if you're not vaccinated, when you get to the store, they send a minder with you to walk with you through the store to make sure that you only buy essential items. Wow. Like, it's bizarre. You can't believe that this is happening in the 21st century. Yeah. And people have lost their jobs. It split up families, vaccine for or against. Yeah. And people have had enough of this psychological warfare. So, like, when all these truckers started organizing, like I said, it touched something in the collective Canadian psyche. And, like, you would have saw the videos. People coming to the roadside, waving flags, cheering everybody on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it just picked up all this steam. And they started a GoFundMe in order to help pay for the participating drivers' fuel and food costs. And that ballooned. Yeah. At last I checked, they were over 10 million Canadian dollars raised. Wow. And the government is so afraid of the Freedom Convoy that a bunch of members of parliament have formed a committee and they have demanded that a representative of GoFundMe appear in Canadian parliament and answer their questions about how GoFundMe is making sure that this money's not being dispersed to supposedly fringe extremist groups. Yeah. But there's no evidence of this. Like, they're relying on a video of some guy talking to the organizers who's part of some super tiny political party in Alberta. Yeah. And this obvious plant who showed up with a swastika they've only got a couple of photos of. Yeah. And they're trying to tar the entire thing. And, and the point I made in this Newsweek article was there was tens of thousands, if not 100,000 people in Ottawa last Saturday. Yeah. You're going to dismiss this very popular movement, this legitimately spontaneously organized working class movement movement based on like a couple of weirdos that may have been plants by the government yeah yeah you're out of your minds and it's very insulting to all of the canadians who've donated money to all the canadians who've participated to just say well you're just a bunch of racist rednecks like this is ridiculous it's certainly one of those things that looks to me the government are clutching at any sort of a straw they can get to make people look bad and that's sort of a typical tactic yeah well they're really mad there's an online meme, hoes are mad. Yeah. And the hoes in this case are the institutional left, labor unions, people online and in the government who claim to speak for the working class. Yeah. And this came out of nowhere. And the thing about the Freedom Convoy that people need to understand, it was completely financed by small donations, 50 bucks here, 20 bucks there, 100. You know, there was someone that was apparently given by Elon Musk or they suspect it was as a joke to insult Trudeau. Yeah. But for the most part, it's small donations from regular people. They're not connected to any political party. 
They're not connected to any union. Yeah. They're not connected to any institutional power in Canada or a provincial level whatsoever. Yeah. This is the definition of a grassroots, spontaneously organized movement. And the media and the government and the institutions in Canada have no idea what to do with it. They're not going to get any credit for it. And they have no way to control it. Yeah. So they're freaking out and demonizing us instead. Who's this clown David Mosscrop? He's a blue tick on Twitter, so he's obviously some sort of a... I think he's some kind of, like, lefty labor organizer. I've heard of him before. I think he's written a couple of books. I've heard the name before. I'm not very familiar with him, but there's a whole bunch of them. I'm just sort of scrolling through on my laptop while we're talking. Yeah. And this guy's got protests are meant to disrupt. They're meant to make life uncomfortable. They're meant to make you feel reality crashing down on you. We forget this because we're dazzled by the gimmicks of a contemporary politics that tricks us into thinking we never have to sacrifice anything. And then he follows that up with, we've got to control the language and get rid of the truckers from Ottawa. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like I say, I mean, it's easy to point out the hypocrisies amongst partisans in the media. I mean, that's just par for the course. Yeah. But like I said, the people in Ottawa... There's a divide. So the city of Ottawa has a problem on their hands insofar as they can't get rid of the truckers. The police are mostly on our side. Like the beat cops have been nothing but nice to everybody. Yeah. I spoke with police when I was there on Saturday. They were just hanging out, happy to be there. They're like, there's nothing happening. Everyone's being nice. There's no incidents, no arrests. Yeah, yeah. And again, they organized this kitchen. All this food is being donated to the truckers and the truckers like just organized an outdoor kitchen and they've been making pizza and feeding whoever wants to come by. The homeless, passers-by, like come one, come all. Yeah. And they don't know what to do with it. The mayor was talking about getting like big rig tow truck companies that have the equipment to move trucks and do wreck rescues. And all of those guys have told the mayor to get lost. (laughs) And then somebody the other day said something really stupid in the media about, well, the city of Ottawa is considering contacting the military. And then what happens? A representative of the Canadian Armed Forces comes out and says, we have no intentions of getting involved in this. This is not our jurisdiction. We're not dealing with this. I actually just got that up on my screen right now. The military says to find someone else to evict the truckers. We're not doing it. Yeah. So the media, such as they are, are running into all of these realities. Yeah. And then on the other hand, the government, Trudeau disappeared on Saturday. He literally like memed himself into believing that this was like a January 6th type thing in the U.S. Oh, no, you're just a small fringe group of radicals. That's what you are with unacceptable opinions. Yeah, well, they can't make up their minds. On the one hand, they want to dismiss us as fringe, but then on the other... He skips town and goes to hide out at a chalet in hills in Quebec somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And he's still gone. I don't even know if he's come back to Ottawa yet. Yeah. And they won't talk to the truckers. So here's the thing. Yeah. So they've organized this committee to talk to GoFundMe. Yeah. They will readily talk to anybody in the media that will listen to them. Yeah. But they won't actually speak directly with the organizers of the convoy and hear their demands. Like, where's the democracy here? Yeah. It strikes me so much as class warfare And not in the traditional, like, economic strata sense, but, like, sort of culturally insofar as the media and the institutions and the government represent a particular form of, like, neoliberal leftism. And talking to all of us chuds, like, all of us working-class people out in the bush, that's beneath them. We don't participate with them culturally. We're an afterthought to them. And now that we have the world stage, everybody around the world is supporting us. Oh, yeah. And the cops are supporting us, and they can't get rid of us. 
all they have left is demonization. Yeah. But like, I guarantee you, if Trudeau came out of hiding tomorrow or had his people even approach the organizers of the convoy, and maybe that's happening right now, like, I don't know, yeah. it would be over tomorrow, right? Yeah. If Trudeau would just come out and say, look, okay, I get it. Norway's dropped their restrictions. Denmark, the UK, Ireland, all these states in America. Like, we're done with this. The world is done with this. But Trudeau is like charging forward and he won't relent. Yeah. If he would just pull his head in and realize that nobody's interested in this crap anymore except a small minority of hypochondriacs and partisans that are literally ignoring science and statistics, <laughs> this would be done. It would be over. Yep, 100%. You won't get an argument out of me on any of that, mate. Uh, it's been quite an incredible thing to see, just the overreach and the insanity that we've all had to endure around the world, not been going on about it for ages, to the point where Andy and I decided we weren't going to talk about it. But every time we did the news once a week, it's dominated by COVID crap. And we've got the situation now where the east coast of Australia was insane. This is while I was working in the Pilbara. And then McGowan's gone insane, and I've come back over to the east coast. And the East Coast is now sort of fairly sensible. It's all sort of dying a death. But we're heading towards a federal election and Jellyback Morrison, our Prime Minister, who's supposed to be a Conservative, who's been acting more and more and more like a left-of-centre politician rather than a right-of-centre one that he's supposed to be, is trying to sort of walk things back. I mean, Christ, he did a stunt yesterday in a bloody hairdresser's salon to try and make himself look more human. As far as I'm concerned, he just shot himself in the foot. The lengths that these people will not go to to try and retain power just blows me away. You know, I don't really want to get too much into politics. People that follow me on Twitter know that I'm a Liberal Democrat. I'm like David Lionel, you know. I believe that we should have the freedom to do whatever we like as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. But uh... It's interesting you mentioned that Morrison's doing his damnedest to try and look human and roll things back. Yeah. There's been people in the media saying the truckers' freedom convoy is not going to amount to anything. Yeah. Well, let me update you on what's happened in Canada in the last few days. Right, I do that. The Conservative Party of Canada, who are supposed to be Her Majesty's lay-back-and-take-it opposition party. That's it, yep. They've laid back and they've took it all right. Their own leadership ousted their leader, Aaron O'Toole, the other day. Right, eh? The premier of Saskatchewan, what's his name, Mo or Poe, he basically said, that's it, we're done, end of the month. Saskatchewan's completely open, no more, none of this nonsense, it's over. Yeah. So there's the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa, but there's parallel protests, and one of which is in Alberta. Yeah. The truckers have blocked off the main border crossing between the province of Alberta and the state of Montana, where Interstate 15 comes up, right. and then you can go north to Calgary and Edmonton and the rest of the province. Yeah. It's a very busy border crossing, and they've had it shut down for days now. And the premier of Alberta is this guy named Jason Kenney. He's been around Canadian politics forever, and he used to serve under Harper at a federal level years ago. But he's now the premier, and he was a bit wishy-washy. He was a bit like Morrison, mm. and he just made an announcement yesterday that like they're on the same track as Saskatchewan because he knows his job is at stake. Yeah. He's done. If he doesn't bend to our demands... His history as premier of Alberta is over. Yeah, right. So the dominoes are falling, and the last one we're waiting for is Trudeau. Yeah. So what happens to Trudeau? If he winds it back now and says, all right, I give in, is that going to cost him? Obviously, he's going to lose some political skin over that. I honestly couldn't believe when he got re-elected. He's too far gone here. Canadians are too casual. 
Yeah, the problem, well, yeah, they're casual much in the same way certain Australians are. Trudeau, when he called that election, nothing changed. Only a small handful of seats exchanged between the parties. Nothing to change the balance of power. Trudeau remains a minority parliament. So he doesn't have a full majority in his own party. So he requires the assistance of, say, the NDP or the Bloc Québécois in order to pass legislation. So the problem that Trudeau has now because of the Freedom Convoy is he's stuck in a rock and a hard place. The polling numbers are slowly inching in our favor. People are done with the mandates and they support us. Yeah. But at the same time, if Trudeau is seen to cave to us, yeah. the only reason he's still in power is because of the small number of hardcore liberal party supporters. Yeah. You know, the media, the establishment, certain sectors of the old guard of the liberal party that he's done like in their eyes if he caves on this he might lose some of their support so he's in a lose-lose situation yeah purely politically speaking trudeau's in between a rock and a hard place yeah so it's hard to say what he's going to do because like either way he's going to lose so to clarify for the listeners when you use the word liberal you're meaning left-wing liberal in the american sense rather than right-wing liberal in the australian sense well kind of the Canadian Liberal Party would be considered center-left by most people. Yeah. We have the Conservative Party who are center-center. I wouldn't even call them center-right. Yeah. And then there's the NDP, the New Democratic Party, who used to be a workers' party, but are now basically a representative of various identity politics, factions, a small number of the public service unions kind of support the NDP. Yeah. But their claim to speak for the working class has been dead and gone forever. Their leader, this guy named Jagmeet Singh, does nothing but post about like all the identity politics garbage. He never speaks about actually doing something for the regular working class in Canada. Like he's gone. Yeah. So we've got nobody. And this is why Trudeau was returned to power because the Conservative Party under Aaron O'Toole did nothing in this last election to oppose the COVID mania and what Trudeau was doing. Yeah. The only guy who did was this French fellow named Maxime Bernier, who had left the Conservative Party and started this thing called the People's Party of Canada, yeah. which are a small party. And this is not a knock on Bernier, but his party is very small. Yeah. He didn't even get his own seat. I mean, he's sort of a gadfly at this point. Like, yes, he's the leader of that party, but he does not have a seat in Parliament. Yeah, right, yeah. But he was the only guy that said, I oppose all this and I'll change it. Yeah. And his party only got 5 or 6% of the vote, no seats. Yeah. So that's why we're at this stalemate, just because of the breakdown of parties in Canada and people's allegiances. And so Trudeau's sort of stuck there, you know? It's just craziness. Where do you see it going? From where you sit now, the people that you've been talking to, where do you see the protest going now? Well, I believe the protesters have no intentions of going. Yeah. I spent many years in Alberta. Um, over and above my time in the Northwest Territories, I spent a lot of time in Alberta. And I worked for a fella in Brooks. And an associate of mine from Brooks, who worked for the same guy, yeah. is on Wellington Street. He's sitting there in his Kenworth W900 on Wellington Street as we speak. And I've been in contact with him all week. Yeah. And he's like, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. He's completely overwhelmed at the showing of support on the part of regular Canadians. People stop by his truck and try and give him money. Yeah. They give him cigarettes. They bring him beer. The cops have come by and said, if you have any problems, just call this number. We'll be right here. There's people walking into the downtown core of Ottawa with like big jerry cans of diesel fuel to help these guys. Because of course, in Ottawa right now, it's probably minus 30 degrees Celsius. Yeah. 
and guys are high idling their trucks to keep their cabs warm and they're sleeping in their trucks. I mean, they're right there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't believe they have any intentions of going anywhere. And this weekend, like tomorrow, there are parallel protests being planned in some of the provincial centers. So there's a planned protest tomorrow. A bunch of truckers are going to go down to Queen's Park in Toronto. Toronto is the capital of the province of Ontario. Yeah. And according to an article I read today, the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, has said, well, I mean, come on down, just keep it peaceful. Like, he's not resisting it at all. Yeah. So we're going to see a protest there. There was a tractor, farmer, trucker, United thing that happened at a border crossing in Ontario near Sarnia. They're planning another protest of a bunch of truckers in Vancouver. So, like, this movement is not going anywhere. Well, you guys have certainly shown the world how to put on a protest, that's for sure. Yeah, and I want to toot the horn of my fellow Canadians here. Hmm. We're doing this at the height of winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was on that overpass, when I was making those videos on Saturday, it was 25 below zero Celsius, and with the wind chill, it was like minus 35. Wow, that's incredible. Most Australians will never experience that temperature. Yeah. You know, so you got to be a hard bastard to go out there and do that in this weather. You know, there's something that speaks to the like, we're going to do this spirit of the average Canadian. Yeah. Especially, you know, if you're a Canadian trucker, if you run the ice, you've been out in the bush, you're hauling logs. Winter time is go time. Yeah. A lot of access to oil patch leases in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Northern BC, access to mines, access to forestry. They rely on the winter because the ground is now frozen because normally it's like bog. It's very swampy and it's all pine trees. It's very difficult to do business out there in the spring and the fall. So a lot of that work gets done in the winter. So this trucker's convoy is made up of people who are used to working in extreme conditions, who are used to working weeks and months at a time straight during the winter without a break. So if the government thinks that they're going to break us, they're out of their minds. They don't even know what they're dealing with. Yeah, well... I was in uh, Canada in 2012, went to British Columbia and Alberta and and had a bit of a drive around, beautiful weather and all the rest of it. And I met lots of Canadians and went to lots of truck stops, wowed myself over the trucks you guys have over there compared to what we run over here with the super huge sleepers on them. And I was just blown away by Canada. I sort of said to Rose, I would love to live in Canada. And I'll tell you what, right now, I'd be proud to be a Canadian truck driver. Yeah, well, this is our moment. Like I said, I'm overwhelmed. And most of the people I've spoken with, like my friends who are non-truckers, my truck driving friends, my associates that are in Ottawa right now, friends of mine in the business that just are still working. We just cannot believe how this has captured the world's imagination, the support we've gotten from everybody. Like despite the smear campaigns in the media, everybody knows they're lying. Everybody knows that the CBC, CTV, Global, all these news networks in Canada are basically like Pravda. This is late Soviet garbage. Everybody knows they're lying. (laughs) Everybody knows they're full of it. And we just know, we understand the righteousness of our cause, and the rest of the world does too, and it's beautiful to see. Yeah, love it. We're going to wrap it up there, Gordon. We'll have to call it a day, but I'll tell you what, I'd love to get you back when your wife's not so annoyed about the media commitments, right? (laughs) I've had a very busy week over and above the fact. I am still trucking. I haul LPG. Yeah. And we're at the height of home heating season right now. Yeah. The only reason I'm able to talk to you is my trucks broke down. The emissions after treatment system has decided to crap itself and we can't get parts. Oh, no. So the supply chain crisis, we can't get parts for my truck. 
the climate alarmism and the fact we have all these bogus systems on the trucks anyway. <laughs> I jest, but it's actually quite serious. There's yeah. people who are running out of propane here and their houses are going cold. I mean, I'm not in minus 30 here. This is a little further south, but it was eight degrees below zero here today. You know, like it's not warm. Yeah. You know? All right, man. Take care of yourself, all right? Keep it safe out there. Yeah, and thanks, Mike. No worries. I will get you back on the show. Yeah, I'd love to come back. I really miss being in Australia. Maybe we could talk about my time in WA. Yeah. And we can compare notes on more trucking-related stuff rather than politics. Yep. Thank you ever so much for having me on. This is a real honor. I love your Twitter account. Thank you for documenting everything going on down under, yeah. trucking, COVID, or otherwise. I really dig it, man. Thanks so much. No, you're welcome, mate. There's always a bed for you and your missus and your kids at my place in Sydney, all right? So you can't bypass next time. Come on and have a beer and a barbie, mate. <laughs> right on. All right. Get in, mate. I'll even have a tin for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Gordon. See you, mate. Thanks. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. The team here at On the Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Mm -hmm.